cool, cool. And I'd say I'm doing well enough to even start the show. Hey, we should probably start it then. Welcome, Welcome to Stupid Superstitious. Paranormal Podcast. Oh, damn it. The, the Paranormal, Paranormal Podcast, Podcast about the science of, of the, the strange. Oh. <laughs> I'm Jake. And I'm Wyatt. And we're uh, hosting again. the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, welcome back, everybody, to another week. Um, first and foremost. If you follow us on social media, you may already know this, but if not, we have rebranded in a pretty big way. So we have hey. a new logo. Super cool. Thanks again to Lauren for making that. Thank you. Uh, she made our first logo. Much. She made this logo. It's all over the place now. You can see it. It's beautiful. It's hopefully, so nice. Hopefully you'll be seeing it in your podcast player right now and seeing the difference. But our oh, entire yeah. website has also been totally revamped, too. We spent a weekend on that, and now it's functionally, you won't notice much of a difference as far as all the stuff <laughs> you want to do is still there to do it. And lots, oh, yeah. lots of the same places, but it's got some, some new functionality that it didn't have before. It's a little more streamlined. It looks gorgeous. Um, <laughs> that was like half burp, half speaking. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's it's great. So it's check it out. very exciting. Yes, indeedy. And uh, on a similar vein, thank you to our new Patreon supporters. If you guys out there are interested in supporting the show, please do jump on. Uh, we've got some fun perks, and we're going to have more and more goodies coming out very shortly, I'd say. It is largely thanks to your support that we're able to beef up our website and stuff. Absolutely true. As far as subscription plan costs and stuff like that which will also be helpful for something else coming later but yeah we can't thank you enough for your help on patreon it's super great to get your support it's amazing and you know if if you find that that is not really something you're able to do right now if you if you want a free way to support the show yes indeed you can jump on over to apple podcast and leave us a little review yeah um we specify apple podcast because that just happens to still be one of the biggest ones and so yes more indeed. reviews and ratings we get there the more visibility it gives the show boosts the old profile and you could leave a review such as the recent two that we've received one from co navy mom which can only mean commanding officer navy mom i was thinking colorado navy mom but it really could go either way a lot of time and effort goes into each podcast much appreciated very entertaining thank you smiley face Ah, thanks co navy mom maybe it's conavy mom conavy mom and then of course one from gizgahigish who says Jake and Wyatt make one hell of a podcast. It's the perfect blend of horror, humor, and science. Hearing the intro song always brings a smile to my dumb face. Signed, Fleshlike. <laughs> we may have yeah, received a review from the Phantom himself. God, I guess it's still out there. Pirate Killer's got to get on that. <laughs> but uh, thank you guys yeah, so much for yeah, your very you. kind words. They warm our, our, our shriveled little hearts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once well, left them anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, I guess I have an Oumuamua update. Oh, yeah. Or I guess an updo a date, if you will. <laughs> uh, which is recent news came out. More researchers have been working on this sort of project, trying to figure out what it could be, where is it going, where did it come from. If you don't recall, we covered Oumuamua back in episode 56, Space is Strange. Space is strange. <laughs> it is this uh, intergalactic body that flew through our solar system. Uh, intergalactic? Intergalactic. What am I saying? <laughs> Exosolar? What am I trying to say? Sure. I don't have this part drafted. I'm kind of going off book here. It's a space rock. It's a rock from space <laughs> that flew through our solar system 
and that's really much pretty much the update it's rocks <laughs> there was a There's lot of speculation a that lot it was more yeah. yeah people were largely speculating that it was some kind of uh extraterrestrial Solar craft. Was a very high profile proposition yes go on and and based on its speed and the way it was coming in and people would be like oh well it must be some kind of like reconnaissance drone from an alien race mm-hmm. so the update now is that it is confirmed rocks it is rocks excellent so there you go <laughs> Speaking of just outer space related stuff, I will have a PSA for us next week okay. about about space things. It'll, All right, sounds it'll make good. sense in time. But I think that's about enough of our shit for now. Let's get into our <laughs> shit right now. For the rest of time. <laughs> yes. And uh, so that is today's uh, uh, theme. Yes, indeed, which is fearsome critters. Fearsome critters. So what we're referring to are collectively a wonderfully fanciful and celebrated group of American folkloric entities, uh, largely emerging from the late 19th and early 20th century uh, sort of American frontier logging period. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are many fearsome critters, but each was essentially born in the same way, emerging somewhere in the American wilderness out of a fusion of explorational spirit, playful imagination, and the human tendency to look for monsters in unfamiliar places. Not to mention just the kind of urge to haze greenhorns. Quite exactly true. So, yes, they represent a form of oral tradition before the internet, even before radios and readily accessible electricity. Podcasts were primarily produced and presented to live small audiences (laughs) huddled around a campfire. (laughs) So, yes, this was a means of hazing as well as entertaining uh, groups of folks. And uh, they're basically a collection of horrible, potentially threatening Pokemon (laughs) that were the cause of that wrestling bush, those bumps in the night, (laughs) and the general unexpected creaking and cracking of the woods. Very fun stuff for, like, if if your whole life is campfire stories, you're always around a campfire pretty much every night. The unending flame. Yeah, then you just have a bunch of increasingly weird and wonky Mm -hmm. uh, creatures out there. Mm Mm-hmm and um all of them real absolutely every single one of them 100 percent real we have brought up fearsome critters in passing in the past right i know you mentioned the uh oh wait i can think of this the the gumbaroo the, the gumbaroo, gumbaroo i got it that's right way back in our episode about the cryptozoology conference uh mm-hmm. and i i think i may have given just some brief uh lip service to the hide behind mm-hmm. but there's just so many of these things <laughs> naughty <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> but yes so today we have collected a very large handful i believe between us nine something like that yeah i, I went for one bonus one because mine were kind of short so yeah, with those counts why don't you kick us off and i think it is my turn to kick off anyway oh, so perfect. that works out absolutely perfectly which is part of the reason i justified to myself having one extra because i knew it would work in terms of alternating well there you go so for sources i'll be primarily using the 1939 book fearsome critters by henry h tryon <laughs> not tyron but Ty- uh, tryon <laughs> Hmm. And the 1910 book Fearsome Critters of the Lumberwoods with a Few Desert and Mountain Beasts by William T. Cox. Uh, these are both available digitally from a handy website called lumberwoods.com, mm-hmm. uh, which is edited by Lenwood Sharp. It's wicked cool. A very neat compilation of stuff, very handy to get through. It and is and super it's, nice. It's great. A lot of my stuff comes from the, those sources those as well. Those are pretty much like... The, this the, applies these, to our whole segment. Yeah. And that website also includes a cool book of crazy old-timey inventions and ideas that serve as a basis for that which is steampunk. So it's just a neat oh. place to visit. We will, of course, as always, link to the stuff we're talking about. Hell yeah. So 
I'm going to start with a creature so culturally ubiquitous that it really only gained fearsome critter status as a kind of honorary degree. Uh, its achievements <laughs> were made on its own first, and then once that classification came around, it was generally agreed that the jackalope uh, yes. was more than deserving. A mm-hmm. uh, jackalope is, as the portmanteau name might suggest, basically just a cross between a jackrabbit and an antelope, or more specifically, it's just a rabbit with antlers. Yeah. Some of the stories, so they, it does come with its own fearsome critter style stories of what happens if you encounter them in the wild. So they're mm-hmm. supposed to be very dangerous. I think they're known as like the warrior rabbit or something like that. <laughs> um, they will charge and uh, and really fuck you up with their antlers. Holy hand grenade reference is mandatory. Pretty much. The story would be that if you're a hunter going out into the wilds, you should wear stovepipes on your legs to protect yourself <laughs> from getting gored by them. Wow. So. <laughs> That's why people would only hunt maybe 15 feet away from their cabins back in the day. <laughs> yep. Or uh, if they're out on the Oregon Trail, um, they'd hunt from wherever they were until they shot too many things and game became scarce. Yeah, pretty much. But, you know, the only way to feed a family of between four and ten is to bring back 4,000 pounds of food every day. (laughs) Forever. (laughs) Jackalopes are unique among the fearsome critters because they don't just appear in stories like these. They are perhaps even more well-known from all the taxidermied specimens. Mm. Uh, so indeed, the further west you go, and the more divey or kitschy the bars or restaurants or motels you patronize, the more mounted jackalopes you'll see on the walls. And uh, <laughs> actually, it's kind of funny, the wilder right here in Portsmouth oh, yeah. uh, has kind of a jackalope motif going on too. Huh. They definitely kind of defy that logic because they aren't like a divey bar. They're actually a pretty classy joint, but <laughs> they have, um, have a nice painting of a jackalope on the wall when you first come in. It's like, I think a cocktail on the menu is called the jackalope, and they do have a mounted one by the bar. That's cool. Wow, so that is a lot of that. Yeah, it's just a it's a fun thing people like to just have around. But when as you go west in some of these like smaller, more local locales, uh, it's where the kind of newcomer gullibility factor really comes into play. So much like the yeah, you know, hazing people who are first first joining the the pros out on the frontier. As people go west for the first time, if they see the mounted jackalopes, people will say, "Oh yeah, they they look here. Got to watch out for them. They're really dangerous." And like just try and convince people that they are actually real. Which uh, you know, I can totally see myself falling for that pretty hard if i was going out that way back in the day and i oh, did yeah. not know any better especially if you see a physical yeah like, I was like oh here's what it looks like, it's like a, oh jeez taxidermy that thing and you know like well rabbits look like that and antlers look like that like and I, not one, knowing one much about one. taxonomy or anything there's no reason why it couldn't be a real thing mm-hmm. but the origin of this particular critter is itself super apocryphal sounding huh so a guy named roy ball is said to be the first white person to encounter and catch a jackalope in 1829 mm. and it goes on from there as far as oh you know my uncle saw one ago just, mm. just any of that kind of stuff just totally spiraling out of control so it's not totally clear what the first instance was of this mythological creature but it does seem to be attributed to this roy ball guy so here is a supposed history as offered up by mythology.net hmm. quote douglas and ralph herrick were two typical american brothers they valued family, spent plenty of time together, and enjoyed hunting in the woods. They lived in Wyoming and had once taken a taxidermy class together as teenagers through a mail order service. Hmm. Which I don't know if like they'd get instructions in the mail and then mail their practicing taxidermy stuff into the instructor to be <laughs> graded or how that mm-hmm. works. So with their experience and background, flat models <laughs> yep, coming in, really isn't so surprising that one fateful day after returning home late for dinner because they were hunting, they came up with the idea to create the jackalope. Mm-hmm. According to the story. When they returned home, they tossed a jackrabbit carcass up against the wall of their taxidermy shop because they were in a rush and were anxious to eat. 
The body of the animal slid directly between a pair of deer antlers and gave Douglas an idea that would quickly make the brothers famous. According to Ralph, after looking at the carcass directly beneath the antlers, Douglas claimed, Let's mount it the way it is. I'm unclear a little bit on just the imagery wow. here. Did they just throw it and it stuck to the wall and kind of slid down it? I think so. Or That's what I'm imagining. They said in their, their taxidermy shop, so maybe they just like threw it aside and it kind of just landed near a shelf of... I, I don't It's pretty really, gnarly. Uh, it sounds tail. horrible. Yeah. But um, I maybe it just means like they threw it onto like a shelf and it happened to land near some antlers. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, that could be kind of fun. In a grisly fashion. Did you ever have those toys when you were a kid that were like four-armed little weird critters? I don't think and so. And each of their arms at the end had a little like sticky ball of some kind of chemical <laughs> substance. And so when you throw it against the wall, it would like crawl down the wall being drawn by gravity oh, and it would sort yeah. of flip over and over on itself. I'd never had one, but I think I can picture exactly the, the toy yeah. you describe. I enjoyed those so much. I threw one as hard as I could up into the corner of like the stairwell <laughs> and it stayed there for a very long time. <laughs> My sister and I used to do, uh, we didn't have that, but the stairwell at our, um, our parents' house, we would fire nerf darts at the wall uh-huh. and to fall down and sometimes they would stick too hard I'd be like well i guess that's there now that is <laughs> yes exactly so later when the brothers returned to their shop they fashioned the deer antlers onto their jackrabbit carcass and created the first jackalope hmm. they later find a hotel owner local to the area and sell him the first ever jackalope for an impressive ten dollars practically a million dollars back then this said that uh is the equivalent of 186 dollars 76 cents in 2018 oh my god which for a dumb little thing like that's not bad not uh, bad at all the hotel owner's name was roy ball the same man that would later be credited with trapping and discovering the mm. first known jackalope in 1829 mm-hmm. uh, ball was proud to display his jackalope head in the lobby of his labont hotel in douglas wyoming the strange piece attracted the attention of many guests and soon began to draw visitors of its own it certainly didn't take long for the strange mount to attract attention across america Becoming a focus for the tourist industry. So this is claiming that oh, specific people could be traced to the first jackalope. Mm-hmm. I am less convinced that any one person, or, or in this case, a pair of brothers, could say they're the first ones to come up with a jackalope for some other reasons. Okay. The jackalope is very importantly not a strictly white American folk creature. Oh. There are plenty of tales of horned rabbits in Mesoamerican culture as well, suggesting that this kind of thing goes back quite a bit further. That's so interesting. Interestingly, Europe also has its own variation on jackalopes, particularly a hybrid animal called the Volpertinker. Huh, that's so even better. This is something actually I had never heard of, but that Sabine told me about before. Oh, I got that, that last night before. Yeah, Sabine mm-hmm. and uh, Patrick, mm-hmm. her partner, both of them pretty cool scientists and from Germany. Mm-hmm. And I was asking them about you know any kind of weird creatures or cryptids or things from where they're from. And first thing they came up with was the Volpertinker. And they, um, so I looked it up and I was like, oh shit, this is just like a jackalope with wings. Oh, it's, there you go. Okay. It's usually a combination of different, different creatures, like some kind of mammal body and antlers mm-hmm. and then wings. Um, but more commonly the, at least the head tends to be rabbit, if not the whole body as well. And sometimes they have fangs. A but, tiny uh, cute, like, um, oh, my brain is fucked up right now. Hippogriff? Mm-mm. Griffin. Well, Griffin, yeah. Manticore. Manticore works as well. Um, Any number of chimera-type creatures. That's really the word I was looking for is chimera. I see. Uh, Carry on. This particular creature dates back to around the 17th century or so, it sounds like, Mm -hmm. and is part of just a general human tradition of mashing a bunch of animals together into one monster-type thing. So, like you said, yeah, the chimera concept is just something humans have always liked as a monster. Like, oh, what if it was Mm -hmm. all these things combined? (laughs) 
Overall, some folks think that worldwide myths about horned rabbits may actually stem from a real-life phenomenon. Hmm. It's interesting. Uh, it's called Shope papillomavirus. Hmm. It's a virus that causes bony tumors to grow on the rabbit's head and body. Interesting. So rabbits can actually have these horn-looking things growing off of them. If they happen to be coming off of the head and someone saw that, they might be like, oh, I saw this thing. And then stories there can come from go. there. Yeah. It's not required that there be a real world basis for these stories but it does make sense how they could independently develop in totally different parts of the world yeah that's a good point so that's kind of nifty i'll leave off with this tidbit about uh, from hoaxes.org on how to catch a vulper tinker mm-hmm. the best way to catch a vulper tinker according to legend is to be a beautiful young woman or be in the company of one mm-hmm. since vulper tinkers have a weakness for female beauty hmm. the woman should go out into a forest at night while the moon is full and find a secluded nook where a vulper tinker is likely to be Hopefully, the creature will soon reveal itself. When it does, the woman should expose her breasts. This will cause the vulper tinker to instantly fall into a stupor, allowing it to be easily bagged. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well. Uh-huh. Some old school creeper Sh- recipe right there. Show us your boobs. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. So, for the jackalope, what rating should we give this particular fearsome critter? <laughs> Out of How 10. about its fearsomeness? Its fearsomeness? Yeah. Um, Keep in mind that well, you need stovepipes to protect your legs. It can gore you. This probably but it gets, does really like boobs. Depending on its terroir. Yes. I'm giving this one an eight. An eight? Okay. Quite fearsome. I was going to give it maybe a six. All right. But that may be partly biased by the fearsomeness of some future critters. Oh. We'll see. That's true. Well, I'll follow that up with the goofus bird, <laughs> of course, a.k.a. the Philomaloo bird. Philomaloo! Or the flu fly bird. <laughs> That's another really great uh, characteristic of most typical fearsome critters is the names. Oh, yes. This will be a very brief entry. They say the goofus bird flies backwards as it does not care where it's going, <laughs> only where it's been. And it builds its nest upside down. I guess this should be the official bird of America at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, good luck with those eggs. It is described as having a conspicuous appearance with a turkey-like head, long green neck, and silver scales. Hmm. A black right wing and a pink left wing. <laughs> a person likened to a goofus bird is perhaps as a shock to no one. Someone considered low in intellectual curiosity and indifferent to their life direction. <laughs> if the name didn't already kind of give you that impression. Yes, indeed. Um, the dipshit bird. The dipshit bird. Goofus is also suggested as a possible origin of the word doofus. Ah. Which, indeed, is slang for a person prone to foolishness or stupidity. The fuckface bird. <laughs> Also perhaps influenced by the German word doof, huh. meaning stupid. So we're back into Germany again. That's interesting. Yes, indeed. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Well, I suppose it makes a kind of sense with uh, many uh, Northern European immigrants coming over to yeah. begin the lumbering industry, as it were. And the fur trapping, too, for that matter. Just general, general Frontiers uh, existence. Yeah. So, yeah, that's about all I've got on the goofus bird. It's kind of just a standalone tall tale. There's never really been much else to it than... A ridiculous story to tell people. And it's out there. <laughs> and it's out there. And uh, all the rest of mine are the same, too, so as far as yeah. it'll be. Jackalope yeah. is quite, yeah. Um, I figured I'd open with one that actually had substance, and then we just kind of go from there. I will hilariously close with one that has the most substance, so perfect. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say about the goofus bird as far as its 
fearsomeness. Fearsomeness. I'm going to give this a negative three. I <laughs> negative <think>. three. <laughs> yeah, I'll give it a zero. All righty. <laughs> Very good. On to the Splinter Cat. Ooh. Some people call splinters slivers. Hmm. That's weird, and they should feel bad. Uh, but more to the point, this is the Splinter Cat and not the Sliver Cat. Because the sliver cat is another different thing. Oh, okay. It's an entirely different fearsome critter. The sliver cat? Yeah. Not to be mixed uh, with the silver cat. Yeah, which was hard to Google when you're it's like, oh, did you mean the silver cat? Like, no, I didn't mean the silver cat. A widely distributed and frightfully destructive animal is the splinter cat. Hmm. It is found from the Great Lakes to the Gulf and eastward to the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, this but, one. But in the Rocky Mountains, it's been reported only from a few localities. Apparently, the splinter cat inhabits that part of the country in which wild bees and raccoons abound. <laughs> so, for the record, this is, I believe, absolutely everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Except for some of the deserts of the American Southwest, which apparently raccoons do not make it to, but mm. otherwise they are just everywhere, as mm. are bees. As are bees. These are its natural food, and the animal puts in every dark and stormy night shattering trees in search of raccoons and honey. So, it's another wow. point of order I want to make is I find it interesting here that the author specifies wild bees... But then talks about honey. And and why like, is that so it's weird? It's looking why? for raccoons and honey. Yeah. Oh yeah, because wild bees don't make honey. That's right. It's looking for raccoons. That's its diet. That's its diet. Raccoons and honey. Wow. Not even quite a whole pyramid of food. <laughs> nope. It's just <laughs> once it's protein and it's sugar. I guess. <laughs> Very uh, ferocious form of protein as well. I feel like <laughs> yes. raccoons would not go down without a fight. <laughs> no. Honey, honey, you stand a better chance. I don't think honey punches back too hard. No. The bees might, but uh, but yes, again, as far as the wild bees, there are over 4,000 oh, species yes. of wild bees in North America, in North America alone. alone 20,000 worldwide. We got, what, like 300 or so here in just New Hampshire? Oh, yeah. Uh, none of those are honeybees. Honeybees nope. are a domesticated introduced species mm -hmm. from the old world. They're native uh, in some places, but and what there's what two species of bees in the twenty thousand worldwide that make honey? Just honeybees and two groups. Two groups because okay. honeybees. The other ones, yeah, yeah honeybees in general. And what are the ones from South America? Melipona, I believe. Melipona. The stingless bee. Stingless bee. That's right. Also creates honey, kind of thing. Honey, which is potable. Potable. Edible. You guys drink honey, right? That's, that's I how do. we consume honey by the jar. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm always shivering and <laughs> yeah. sweating. <laughs> I think you need to cut back, man. Maybe have a raccoon here and there. <laughs> yeah, get some raccoon in your diet. So as far as it choosing a very fierce, uh, fearsome, I guess, um, food to eat, mm -hmm. I think that's kind of negated by the way it hunts. The splitter cat doesn't use any judgment in selecting raccoon trees or bee trees, but just smashes one tree after another until a hollow one containing food is found. There's only one or the other kind, though, so I'm sure it does pretty well. Yeah, yeah it's a 50-50 chance. <laughs> The method used by this animal is, uh, in its destructive work is simple but effective. It climbs one tree and from the uppermost branches bounds down and across toward the tree it wishes to destroy. So it basically climbs up the trunk of a tree and sprints straight down it and across for a full head of steam. Uh, okay. Like yeah. I, think I, may, I don't know if it goes across the ground or just across a branch and jump out, but either way it just really uses gravity to help speed. it speed up. Yeah. And then it says, uh, striking squarely with its hard face, the splinter cat passes right on, leaving the broken and shattered tree. Oh wow! Uh, the tree broken and shattered, as though struck by lightning or snapped off by the wind. Huh. So they just explode through trees with their heads. It's pretty hilarious. Smashing into them. Appalling destruction has been wrought by this animal in the Appalling. Gulf states, where its work in the shape of a wrecked forest is often described to windstorms. Mm. So at the end, this one gets a little bit cute and self-aware, and that is 
no good. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot have that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no diming to the actual explanation. <laughs> yes. So the fearsomeness of this, I would say, if we ignore the way it's negated at the very end by the author, I'd give it a good, like, seven. Imagine one of the things smashing Ooh. through a tree and, you know, eating raccoons. You must have some good ones coming up. I would give this one another eight. All right. Mm-hmm. There we go. Uh. <laughs> In the densest woods of Wisconsin and Minnesota, it is said a small creature resembling a stubby-legged dog with the ears of a cat lurks in the darkness. Mm. The tea kettler. Tea kettler. A critter which obviously gets its name from the fact that it makes a sound akin to that of a boiling tea kettle. Oh, okay. Also much like a tea kettle, this creature only walks backwards and steam (laughs) blasts out of its mouth as it makes its whistle. (laughs) Oh, wow. Which, incidentally, means its internal body temperature is somewhere around a toasty 100 degrees C, obviously. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> tea cutlers are adorably also said to be very shy. Aww. As such, so the story goes, if you hear a kettle on the boil in the woods, chances are you've been paid a visit by the cutest critter ever. <laughs> no uh, factoids on diet or tendency to smash trees <laughs> it just boils its insides all the time yes always boiling and interestingly also walking back it's another like this animal walks backwards it's <laughs> oriented in the weird way it's pretty common for them to want to just make oh yeah. this is the thing that just moves in a really strange Let's way or break just, is, the rules yeah it's totally different from anything you've ever seen before yeah so so i'm gonna give this one a two i think a two is what i was gonna give it as yeah. well that seems pretty mm-hmm. perfect for it because you could accidentally get scalded by the steam possibly exactly exactly Okay. Well, luckily we do. At least, I mean, I guess your last one is supposed to be more, more I've informative. Got two more. But, uh, but yeah. I was thinking, as we're going towards the end, mine get, I think, progressively dumber. That's fine. So, <laughs> That's totally fine. Uh, which was by design. Um, <laughs> this next one is called the Central American Wind Tosser. Wind toss. Wind or W H I N Tosser. Wind Tosser. Wind. Okay. In the spring of 1906, there suddenly appeared in the coast ranges of California an uncanny animal from the region of the Isthmus. It is not a large beast, but what is what it lacks in size, it makes up in meanness of disposition. Oh, boy. None of the lumberjacks who have met a wind tosser on trail or tote road care to have the experience repeated. The Central American wind tosser is always looking for trouble or making it. In fact, the beast seems to be constructed for the purpose of passing through unusual experiences. Oh, man. What a description. <laughs> its head is fastened to its body by a swivel neck. So oh. is its short, tampering tail. And both can be spun around at the rate of 100 revolutions a minute. <laughs> so they got a head and tail just oscillating at 100 rpm it's not actually that fast if i'm honest <laughs> yeah it's a little better than one re- revolution per second yes <laughs> which is fast yeah even one revolution an hour would be really weird to It'd see be quite intense absolutely <laughs> but uh yeah um the body is long and triangular how do you have something else you want to say huh um i guess i was thinking back to the splinter cat Running vertically down a tree, smashing through another one, causing huge explosion, crazy, <laughs> and now we have a thing that, yeah, head rotates fully around, but it's like, you know, I imagined it going as fast as like a thousand RPM, <laughs> right. you know, flying with it or whatever. <laughs> yes. But now you've said it has a... Triangular body with three complete sets of legs. Oh, well, what is what qualifies as a complete set? Uh, I, I guess just pairs of legs. Okay. Um... 
but they seem to be kind of all over its Can body. Can you imagine if it was as many as a centipede has each time? Oh God, three centipedes worth of legs. <laughs> so, okay, it's all over the place, but these legs. Uh, this is a great convenience in an earthquake country, since the animal is not disturbed by any convulsions of the earth. If the floor suddenly becomes a ceiling, it does not matter, for the wind tosser is always there with the legs. It's always there with the legs. <laughs> That's a great phrase. Its hair is bristly and all slants forward at a sharp angle. Okay. It has been found that a cat's nine lives are as nothing to the one, pos- uh, the one possessed by a wind tosser. Mm. The animal may be shot, clubbed, or strung on a pike pole without stopping the wriggling, whirling motions or the screams of rage. <laughs> the only successful way of killing the beast is to poke it into a flume pipe so that all its feet strike the surface, when it immediately starts to walk in three directions at once and tears itself apart. What? How would that work? So his legs, I guess, ha- I guess it has pairs of legs all over its body, right. and none of them are facing the same way. And as soon as uh, its feet hit ground, it starts walking that direction. Okay. So if you put it inside of like a uh, flume pipe, it starts just trying to walk in all directions at once because its feet are all in contact with They're the surface. They're all touching the surface. And then it just pulls itself apart mm. and dies. But I feel if it were put inside of a pipe so that, right, feet are on the sur- uh, resurface, mm-hmm. Wouldn't it walk transversely along the length of the pipe in one way or the other? You'd think so. But I guess it walks in more than one direction, like up or down the pipe. Because oh, the legs are pointing okay. in opposite directions. I that's hey, you know my best ad- You created yes. this creature, it's totally <laughs> your invention. <laughs> you have I to qualify it, it now. Yes. Yeah. Uh John Gray of Anadar, Trinity County, California. Knows where a pair of wind tossers live in some broken up country along Mad River. This is back uh, in the nineteen, I think tens or so mm. when this one came out so if it was a pair then it's probably billions of them now uh, easily i'd hate to see them <laughs> i don't know it could be a very fascinating um thing to witness what would you rate the fearsomeness of this critter oh my goodness hmm and Six. not not just because you're imagining him fucking now <laughs> I know, I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> a six. A six, okay. I think I would say a seven, just because it sounds like they could fuck you up. And, oh, yeah. And are hard, and they, and they don't die. And they don't die, that's true. I'll bump <laughs> mine up to a seven, too. Okay. Uh, yeah. Good one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Far, but not so far from the woods of Wisconsin and Minnesota, rise the hemlock forests of northern Pennsylvania. It is among these dark and tangled boughs that one may have the regrettable chance to stumble into the squonk. (laughs) The saddest, most pitiful creature to ever shamble about miserably in the history of reality. The squonk is effectively the grunch if you replaced its blood with liquid sadness and its desire to kill things with the compulsion to literally dissolve when seen. Oh, wow. The legend holds that the creature's skin is ill-fitting, being covered with warts and other blemishes, no. and that, because it is ashamed of its appearance, <laughs> it hides from sight and spends much of its time weeping. No. This leaves a trail of tear-soaked earth, making them easy to track. <laughs> Hunters who have attempted to catch squonks, for some reason, have found <laughs> that the creature is capable of evading capture by dissolving completely into a pool of tears and bubbles. <laughs> When cornered, a certain J.P. Wentling is supposed to have coaxed one into a bag, which, while he was carrying it home, suddenly lightened. On inspection, he found that the bag contained only the liquid remains 
of the said animal. Good work with the law of the conservation of matter. Yes. <laughs> Interestingly, the squonk has surfaced in various forms of media and pop culture over the years. For instance, Steely Dan mentions the creature in the song Any Major Dude Will Tell You. Huh. Off the good listening album, Pretzel Logic. Posing the question in the lyric, have you ever seen a squonk's tears? <laughs> in the Canadian television series Lost Girl and other media, an excessively unhappy character is referred to as a squonk. Hmm. And the term squonk also delightfully has a place in the realms of chemistry and biology, I'm really? happy to announce. That's great. Squonks are, and this is, I mean, if only occasionally, let's say. Yeah. I looked around for more sources supporting this, which <laughs> were few and far between, but it is published at least. <laughs> Um, but basically, squonks are substances which are stable in solution or in some other wild form, quote unquote wild, basically, mm-hmm. um, but cannot be isolated or, if you will, captured without catalyzing their own polymerization or decomposition. Huh. So in other words, attempting to isolate certain substances uh, causes them to change or go away, just like the squonk tail. How about that? That's pretty fun. Kind of fun. Yeah. Also, of course, a squonk now does refer to a kind of vaporizer mod (laughs) so if you google squonk you will likely see a ton of vape associated links jockeying for possession of the concept with those maintaining its status as a uh, tall tale uh, player so i suppose in this way the concept of the squonk is itself slowly dissolving into a pool of annoyingly combustible fluid (laughs) perfect so there you have it I guess I would give this one a yeah a, a one in fearsomeness. Ooh, zero again for me. Zero, yeah. It literally dissolves when seen. <laughs> That's true. It's a pretty <laughs> pretty not fearsome, but it does sound like it has kind of a gnarly appearance if you were to see it before it noticed you saw a it. Fearsome appearance. In fact, I might give this one a ten. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? It's so fearsome that. It literally cannot stand itself. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I also like the idea that even though all squonks look like that, their concept of beauty is still something <laughs> unattainable <laughs> yeah. to them. Yes. The squonk and the, uh, what was it again? The creeper perv bunny from Germany. The Volpertinker. <laughs> yeah, those two guys would probably get along. Yes. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, what I have now is called the Tripodero. I think I drank one of those once. <laughs> The Chaparral and Foothill Forests of California contain many queer freaks of one kind and another. One of the strangest and least known is the Tripodero, an animal with two contractile, or telescopic, legs, and a tail like a kangaroo's. The peculiarity and structure of this peculiarity and structure enables the animal to elevate itself at will, so that it may tower above the Chaparral, or if it chooses, to pull in its legs and present a compact form for crowding through the brush. Why not? Yeah. The Tripodero's body is not large, but is solidly built, and its head is nearly all snout, the value of which is seen in the method by which food is obtained. As the animal travels through the brush-covered country, it elongates its legs from time to time, thus (laughs) shoving itself up above the brush for purposes of observation. If it sights game within a range of ten rods, it takes aim with its snout and tilts itself until the right elevation is obtained. Then, with astonishing force, blows a sun-dried quid of clay, knocking its victims senseless. A supply of these quids is always carried in the left jaw. The tripodero then contracts its legs and bores its way through the brush to its victim, where it stays until the last bone is cracked and eaten. Let me get this straight. Yes. It shoots clay balls out of its nose? Yes. 
and it uses its legs to get real tall mm-hmm. to find food. Yes. That it has to kill by with shooting clay. it. And it only carries the clay in the left part of the mouth for mm-hmm. some. Okay. Okay. What does a kangaroo tail do? I think it helps it balance. How's the mouth look like? Uh, a couple of different illustrations where it's like a big old tube kind of thing, like with the nose kind of. It seems to combine the notion of the mouth and nose into just a long muzzle so that the part is shooting out of, like when it says snout, they might have just meant muzzle. Uh, so it may not shoot it out of its actual nostrils. It may just, it just shoots it out of its face. Yes, exactly. And then uses that same tube to crack bones. Apparently. What's his eyeball look like? <laughs> also tubes. <laughs> So it's just an organ with legs, yes. a pipe organ specifically. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Which I would consider, I don't know about you, but uh, pretty fearsome. Pretty fearsome, pretty biologically real. Definitely. And scary. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to give this a six. Oh, I'm going to give this one a nine. Yeah, that makes sense. I think its overall appearance doesn't seem so scary, but its ability to shoot you <laughs> is a bit yeah. frightening. <laughs> Probably would not do as well in largely peat or soft soil <laughs> not as much, ecosystems. No. <laughs> yeah. Just. Would do extremely well near quarries, though, I'd bet you. Probably. All right. So we're headed back to Wisconsin for this next one. Ooh. More specifically around the city of Rhinelander in the northern part of the state. It is here that in 1893, newspapers reported the discovery of a new creature. Quote, it had the head of a frog, the grinning face of a giant elephant, you know, <laughs> thick short legs set off by huge claws, the back of a dinosaur with a long tail with spears at the end. Jesus Christ. An accurate description of our Lord and Savior. <laughs> I am, of course, referring to the... Oh. <laughs> okay, never mind. I was uh, thinking I knew what it was, but then I realized I don't. Nope. Okay. My mouth was not forming an S <laughs> It noise. was forming a very large A, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I am, of course, referring to the Hodag. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I was, I'm picturing this creature, but for, I was forgetting its name. The Hodag. Which is also the sound some people make when they're surprised but don't want to get anywhere near swearing about it. <laughs> Hodag. Also, I hate to be that guy, but as biologically realized as this thing may sound, it was, in fact, a big-time prank <laughs> orchestrated by land surveyor and timberman Eugene Shepard. I'm going to say his name again because I said it weird. Eugene Shepard. You pluralize his first name. Eugene? It's a Eugene's Shepard, I think. Yeah. The, you know, Shepard elaborated on his story by reporting that they needed to use dynamite to kill the creature and that it was, quote, the fiercest, strangest, most frightening monster ever to set razor-sharp claws on the earth. It became extinct after its main food source, all white bulldogs, became (laughs) scarce in the area, unquote. I feel like Eugene is really trying to, like, tell people i'm fucking kidding guys yeah. <laughs> but people did not believe that he was kidding amazingly it was just the beginning shepherd actually got a lot of play out of this thing jesus christ in his day three years after the 19 or excuse me 1893 reports shepherd claimed to have captured another hodag in 1896 and this time he brought it in alive <gasps> according to shepherd's reports he and several uh, bear wrestlers <laughs> placed chloroform on the end of a long pole which they worked into the creature's cave to subdue it huh 
He displayed his captured hodag at the first Oneida County Fair. Presented as a real phenomenon, thousands of people naturally came to see the hodag either at the fair or at Shepard's display in a shanty at his house. (laughs) Having connected wires to it, Shepard would occasionally move the creature, which would apparently send the already skittish viewers fleeing the display. (laughs) Um, Oh, there aren't any photographs of that, are there? I have images of what it is said to look like, but the actual, like, Yeah, I've seen, like, you know, statues of it before. But the yeah the puppet <laughs> robot that he made is pretty amazing. I guess the children was too afraid to take a picture. Yeah, it it it's funny, but it does remind me of like the first audiences to moving pictures With where the they see like a train the coming exactly, and you know we laugh now, but at the time it's like this was the edge of augmented reality yeah. special effect kind of shit. It's like the Jaws 3D movie marquee reaching out and trying to get Marty McFly. I forget Back that to the part too. It's just yeah, it's the three D thing. The key thing is going to get him. He's like, oh, oh the last seven. wow! I haven't seen the movie in a long time. I don't think I've seen that movie. <laughs> As newspapers locally, statewide, and then nationally began picking up the story of the apparently remarkable living creature, <laughs> a small group of scientists from the Smithsonian Institute in Washington D.C. apparently announced that they would be traveling to Rhinelander to inspect the discovery. Oh naturally. boy. The announcement alone was enough to end the hoax. <laughs> Shepard came clean almost immediately. <laughs> oh, shit. Which, again, it's like, it doesn't seem like he was really trying that hard to not, like, it was like, oh, no, you guys, this is fake, like, from the initial description. Yeah. And after, like, oh, I, I caught a live one. We we used chloroform, and we had some bear wrestlers. That's an occupation people have. They helped me. And people were still like, oh, wow, I'll can we see it? to see that? Like, yeah. Oh, uh sure let me just give me a minute and i'll i'll he's like literally like tugging on like yarn to make it move they're like oh my god it's alive <laughs> so guys I'm, I'm i'm literally animating it it's right it's just come a, back a piece of wood that says hodag, <laughs> hodag. on it <laughs> yeah mouth goes here um yeah exactly so but yes uh humanity's passion for the narrative of the hodag gave the creature its second perhaps third life the hodag appropriately has become the official symbol of Rhinelander, Wisconsin, which has often been described as the municipal equivalent of a combined frog, elephant, dinosaur, and series of spears. <laughs> Along with becoming a mascot for almost any and all events in the area, a large fiberglass sculpture of a hodag now guards the Rhinelander area chamber of commerce. <laughs> and this brings me to my final point for today, which is that we already know that a certain vape attachment mod thing is called a squonk. Uh-huh. So what if we all just call vapes tea kettlers and people who vape goofus birds, <laughs> as in, ho oh, dag, get that tea kettler away from my kids, you goddamn goofus bird. <laughs> Perfect. And that's all I got. I believe it's your turn again. Oh, I believe we need to rate this year. Critter. Oh, yes. And I'm going to give it a 15. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it a ho dag out of 10. Ho dag out of 10. <laughs> ho dag. That's one some critter. Mm-hmm. I was, um, yeah, when you first, I was thinking it was called the Snallygaster, but that's a totally different thing. Oh, yes. And uh, also the Hodag is not to be confused with the Hugag, <laughs> which is a really pitiful looking, like, really tall moose type thing with no knees. It just has totally stiff legs huh. and really droopy lips and I think oh. no teeth. Hugag. Hugag. It's just a goofy ass thing. Yeah. Um, but no, the Hodag. Sort of a proto... Bullwinkle. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> but it can't bend his legs. Mm-hmm. It kind of shuffles around. He never around. bends his legs in the show. He <laughs> walks around like a robot. <laughs> Just kidding. That's a reference. 
that very young people will not get. Probably not, yeah. Oh, they did make a um, remake Peabody and Mr. Sherman. Well, they had a movie, a 3D movie mm-hmm. back in the early 2000s, and then a Peabody and Mr. Sherman thing, or is it uh, Mr. Peabody and Sherman? Yep. Oh, Sherman I don't and Mr. Remember. Peabody. Pretty recently, which is from the same kind of canon as all the Rocky and Bullwinkle stuff. Yes, indeed. Um, but in like the last few years, I was like, who is this for? <laughs> like, is it for the grandkids of people who used to watch that? Because it's like, it's a little it bit It was a bit too... of a misfire, yeah. Yeah, it was a very odd choice because i remember when walkie Wa- and bullwinkle was on walkie and Bull- I just, yeah i used to watch right you of that i was like four yeah and like dudley do right and stuff yeah and, yeah uh, and charge of the jungle all those things exactly. from those different animation companies good stuff yeah, very good stuff all right the final bonus creature i guess that i have mm-hmm. is the dungavin hooter <laughs> so exciting you dropped your phone and started coughing the dung up oh, <laughs> and lost your headphones uh, Help, me. <laughs> Help me! Help <laughs> me! All right, I'm back. Okay. The Dungavin Hooter. <gasps> <laughs> Not to be confused with the New Brunswicker ghost legend, the Dungarvan Whooper. This is a different. Wouldn't you know yeah, it? This is a different lumberjack story, but it's a ghost story, not a critter story. But I won't let that stop me from telling it right the fuck now. <laughs> but what if the Dungavin Hooter? What was the first Dungavin one? Dungavin Hooter. What if the Dungavin Hooter died, and then it was both a ghost and critter story? That's too terrifying to imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the story uh, I'll link to where I got it from. A young cook by the name of Ryan hired himself out to work in a lumber camp near the Dungarvan River. When he arrived at camp, he brought all his worldly possessions with him, like you do when you get a you know job in the woods. Oh, yeah. Computer. <laughs> yep. TI-83 calculator. <laughs> Around his waist was fastened a money belt stuffed with coins and large bills. <laughs> Nobody knew where he got the money, but the young cook made no secret of the fact that there was plenty of it. Mm. See, guys, you know we're in the middle of nowhere like this, and I have this thing that's worth <laughs> so really, much. Yeah, asking to be murdered. <laughs> yes. Ryan was a handsome fellow, tall and strong, with ruddy cheeks and black curly hair. He was well-liked and could whoop and holler better than anyone in the camp. Hmm. They had contests, I guess. And a good, strong shout was an accomplishment much valued among woodsmen. So I guess there you go. Yeah, it was... That was something that was very uh, mm-hmm. prized. Every morning, Ryan was the first one up so as to prepare breakfast and fill the lunch pails with bread and salt pork. Then he would let out a tremendous ear-splitting whoop to get everyone up. After breakfast, the man would go off to work, leaving young Ryan alone. Hmm. It was an unlucky day for Ryan, for on this particular morning, the camp boss decided to remain with the young cook. The boss was a stranger, but he was respected and his orders were obeyed. When the men returned late in the afternoon... They found young Ryan lying lifeless on the floor. Oh, no. He was dead, and his money belt was gone. Oh, no. The end. No. Um, <laughs> when, yeah. I, when asked what had happened, the boss said the young cook had taken sick suddenly and died. None dared question yeah. him further, but the woodsmen were suspicious. Where was the money belt? That night, a raging storm swept upon the camp, making it impossible to leave, so the men had to bury the poor cook in a shallow grave in the forest. Mm. As they trudged back to the camp, they stopped dead in their tracks, for above the howling and moaning of the wind came the most dreadful whoops and screams anyone had ever heard. It continued all that night and all the next day, driving the men crazy with fear. <laughs> they left camp never to return. Hmm. For years, the haunting sounds continued until Father Murdoch, a priest from uh, Renus, Renus, was asked to put the poor spirit to rest. From over the wilderness grave, Father Murdoch read some holy words from the Bible and made a sign of the cross. Some say Father Murdoch succeeded in quieting the ghost, but others declare the fearful cries of Ryan can be heard to this very day. 
The whistle of the train that traveled by the Dungarvan would echo through the hills resembling the whoops of the ghost. Ooh. Hence the name of the train, the Dungarvan Whooper. So the train is a fearsome critter. Uh, yes. The Dungarvan Hooter, formerly quite common from Maine to Michigan, mm. today only occasionally met with, uh, met with on the upper peninsula of the latter state. A marsh dweller, dangerous to human beings, Ooh. shaped a good deal like an alligator, but curious as to equipment in that it has no mouth. The hmm. nostrils are abnormally large, the legs short, and the tail thick and powerful. Mm-hmm. The only cry is a loud snort. <laughs> Concealing itself with satanic cunning behind oh. a whiffle bush, the Dungavan hooter awaits the passing logger. What's a whiffle bush? I don't fucking know. On, I, think it's, I think it's a fearsome um, plant. plant. Yeah. A pernicious plant. <laughs> a pernicious plant. On coming within reach of the dreadful tail, the victim is knocked senseless and then pounded steadily until he becomes entirely gaseous, where, whereat he is greedily <laughs> inhaled through the wide nostrils. Damn. Rum sought and pray is sought with a special eagerness. So... When I first started reading this one before, I thought it was going to say, oh, you know, they're beaten to, the, uh, just mashed to a pulp, and then it just, like, slurps up the liquefied victim. Right. It Snorts. mashes them to another state of matter entirely. <laughs> I would like to see what, I mean, this is a little gruesome, but I wonder if we could, even if we have to pause the show right now, figure out how hard one would have to be hit by something in order to turn into vapor. <laughs> or gas, I guess, is my <laughs> to case. gas, yeah. I mean, it's, this it's, it is harkens specifying. back to the can of peanuts instant metabolization <laughs> yes. plasma thing. <laughs> this is an in-joke that Jake and I have. We are back with uh, our, our friend and former lab mate, Nick, um, who had brought a jar of peanuts to work for lunch that day and had nothing else. And so we were looking at the number of calories. Oh, is that, is that really a full meal? Well, how many calories is in here if you were to eat the whole thing? Right. As these things tend to go, it started off very innocently. Just like, oh, is this going to be enough to sustain you today? Then looking at how many calories there were and then thinking about how many calories... You know, a calorie, as defined, is the amount of energy required to raise, in the case of a, a nutritional calorie, a liter of water, one degree Celsius. Because mm-hmm. um, a, a food calorie is actually a thousand calories, which is enough to raise a milliliter of water, one degree Celsius. Mm. So anytime you see a food calorie, that's enough to heat up a liter of water that many degrees Celsius. And so, so if we ignore the you know pretty important physical principles of you know when you plateau at phase changes and how much energy has to go into it for that to happen exactly and instead just thought of the esoteric idea of just temperature change exactly that one jar of peanuts without any kind of metabolic limiter either that if you're just pure, able to turn the calories of that jar of peanuts into pure energy in his body and looked at his body weight as being like purely water right it would turn him to plasma. <laughs> <laughs> And so, in a similar fashion, we're now wondering how much force would a tail whack require to turn a guy to gas? Can we do that right now? I, well, the problem with this is that I don't know if it says it's multiple. It's it's whacks him to stun, and then it keeps whacking until he turns to gas. Let's just, for the sake of argument, say he whacks him once. That turns him into gas. The second whack kind of redirects the gas over to his nostril, so he can okay. snort. Okay. All right. So for assuming the average American alligator weight for an adult male is around 600 pounds. Right. So if we say that the, the tail, tail is, is a third, a third of, it, of so that weight. 200 pounds. 200 is So then we'll say about it's 100, 100 kilograms, kilograms thereabouts. And um, say the average lumberjack is maybe around 180 pounds, maybe 90 kilograms. Mm-hmm. 
And we know that if we assume that a human body is mostly water and we want the water to turn to vapor. And we ignore, as we did with the peanut example, we ignore the energy input that has to occur at the phase change plateau and assume that just the temperature change is enough to cause the phase change. Then we need it to reach at least 100 degrees Celsius, let's say 101 degrees. Yeah, to get up into the gaseous form and not be at the uh, (laughs) in-between. And let's say that this uh, creature is down near the ground, it lifts its tail up about a meter off the ground. Let's say it's a meter away, it has to hit the guy one meter away. Right, and so... Assuming all of that, the acceleration (laughs) that has to occur... We, we, off mic, spent about 15 minutes working through this. No, we're calculating this right now off the cuff. (laughs) I mean that. (laughs) (laughs) We figured this out because we're geniuses. The tail would have to move at about... 318,000 meters per second. Per second. <laughs> per second. In other words, the, what's the creature called again? The Dungavan Hooter. The Dungavan Hooter can swing its tail at about 318 kilometers per second. Per second. <laughs> yes. Which is, so that's in kilometers per second per second. What, how is that in kilometers per hour after one second? So essentially this beast can swing its tail at a speed of 1,145,000 kilometers per hour. Perfect. <laughs> and I think that makes it one the most critter, <laughs> critter of all. <laughs> and that, my friends, has been an episode. It sure has. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys so much for joining us. Thanks for listening. If you Again, if you want to check out our Patreon, we'd be happy to have you do so. We're going to be rolling out some, some new kind of fun uh, Patreon appreciation perks which we'll describe more in detail next time yes when we actually start them up so you stay get tuned sense for that much more to look forward to oh and one more thing i wanted to mention i had said last episode that we had three of the original run stickers left for folks who want to become a glug suck and Joining uh, at the spring hill jacks level yes and uh we're now down to but one sticker left at the time of recording so some of you cool hot ticket you cool item. folks have uh, have snapped those up since i said that Thank now you guys. there's one remaining so, so who's gonna who's it gonna be? By the time this comes out, maybe you'll you'll have already gotten it. Who knows? That's right. That's right. But uh, then the next batch of stickers will be coming out this month, and you can get those too. Hell yeah! And they look super duper good. <laughs> yep. Super Let's duper go. stickers. Bye. Bye. <laughs>